0: at the end of James chapter 3, and I want to just read a couple of verses, the last section of James chapter 3 verse 13, which simply says this, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, his good life, some translations say, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, in the meekness of wisdom. I've been looking at these verses over the last couple of weeks, and I put it to you That in the midst of all this euphoria about the Olympics and the gold medals, there's one great challenge that every single one of us has as Christians, and God doesn't just give it to any Christian, He gives it to all Christians. And this great challenge is that we become Christ-like. That's the greatest challenge that we face as believers, to become more and more like Jesus. And I want to preach this morning out of that place of trying to encourage you to become more and more like Jesus. And as I preach, I want to say this to you. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I want to say that most of all, As I've processed this book in my own life, I've been speaking to myself. And so when I say things this morning, it's first with the sword going into my own life, into my own heart, and saying, and are these things true for you? I'm not preaching at anybody this morning, right? But I do want to encourage you that you become more and more like Jesus, as I'm trying to become more and more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. So this is the great challenge that we face. And I said to you last week, it's only possible, it really is only possible as we walk by the Spirit as we leave behind earthly wisdom. And uh, James described what earthly wisdom is. He said, earthly wisdom is from within us, it's from the earth, it's from below ultimately, it's demonic, and it always produces division, earthly wisdom. And yet then he said, the wisdom from above, that is from heaven, is first of all, it's pure. Secondly, it's peaceable, it's full of good fruit, it's full of mercy, it's unjudgmental, and it always produces in our lives a harvest, which is righteousness. And for me, that's a very easy barometer in our lives, to see, well, what is producing joy, peace, and fruit in my life? And what is producing division, discord, disunity? If anything is producing discord, disunity, it can't possibly be from the Holy Spirit. And all that is producing joy, peace, righteousness is from God. Very simple. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more and more convinced I am that the Christian life is very simple. People like to make it quite complicated. It's very simple. It might be hard to live out, but it's very simple. And Jesus and His uh, Spirit always encourage us simply. And so, in this very understated way, this quiet way, James simply introduces this huge topic of a good life, a godly life, with the phrase, by His good life, or by His good conduct, as some translations say, by His good life, let the wise man show acts of gentle wisdom. And so, what I'd like to speak to you this morning... As we go on holiday and I hope it will leave you something to think about is the hallmark of gentleness. And this is why it's particularly hard for me to preach this morning because I by nature am not really a gentle person. I tend to be more aggressive. I tend to be more kind of in your face. I tend to be more wanting to get things done. Sometimes not gentleness. Sometimes gets lost along the way. So I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself this morning, all right? The hallmark of gentleness in our lives. And the Greek word that um, James starts using here for good life or for good conduct is kalos, K-A-L-O-S, which simply means lovely. It simply means wholesome, attractive. Helpful. So when he's speaking about a good life, he's saying everything that is wholesome, everything that is attractive, everything that is helpful in our lives, let that be shown by our works of gentle wisdom, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so, as we look at chapter 4 in the next couple of months, you'll see that James quite bluntly contrasts a good life. With, and he uses a very simple phrase in, in, in James chapter 4, verse 4. Where he says this, A friend of, God, of, of the world is an enemy of God. And so he's saying, If you want to be a friend of God, you can't embrace the world. If you want a good life, if you want to live a righteous life that pleases Jesus, you can't live as the world wants to live. He makes a very simple and basic comparison. And so, I just want to say this by introduction. This section that James, uh, that we've been looking at about wisdom and living a good life by the power of the Spirit, it doesn't just come out of nothing. It comes out of everything that James has been preaching about and teaching these people uh, in the previous chapters. Remember, he talked about the power of the tongue. He said, power of the tongue either moves us towards teleos, maturity. Not perfection, not uh, sinless perfection, but towards maturity. The tongue either helps us get there or we work against ourselves by how we speak. And then he went on and he defined it further and he said, actually the heart issue, the root issue is the heart, isn't it? Because what comes out of your mouth is inspired by what's in your heart. And so he, he, he defines it further and he says, it's impossible for a source, a pure source, to have both a salt source and to have a pure source. It cannot be both. And so the real issue is the heart. It's not the mouth. The real issue is what is inside here and that always comes out of there. That's what he's saying. And with this kind of clear, focused logic, he then says, well, how are we going to deal with the heart? And he offers us two options. He says, either you deal with the heart with earthly wisdom, or you deal with the heart by the power of the Spirit with wisdom that comes from above. And so James is actually an incredibly challenging book because he brings us to this point, and he says, actually, the choice is yours. How do you want to live your life? Do you want to live your life in an earthly, unspiritual, demonic-inspired way, or do you want to live your life being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, embracing wisdom from heaven? Very simple. And so, this is a vital subject for James, this thing of wisdom. I want to put it to you this morning that wisdom from heaven is the thing that's going to help us navigate through our lives towards maturity. Wisdom from heaven is going to be the thing that helps us control and rectify this evil heart so that what comes out of our mouth is pure. It's only wisdom from heaven, it's not you trying really hard. It's not you beating your body into submission. All these things have been tried throughout church history. Isn't that what asceticism is? If you just beat your body, if you fast enough, if you pray enough, if you do all of these things, your heart is going to be pure. And Jesus said, it's not about that at all. He said, it's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. That's what Jesus said over and over again. And so, I looked at this last week, and we read a portion from James, which said, wisdom begins with a fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom ultimately, in biblical terms, wisdom begins by knowing God. Wisdom begins when you are born again. Wisdom begins as you, part, as you partner with God and you begin to walk by the Spirit. And because God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, we can know God. And that's why Jesus said over and over again, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know God? Look at me. He made an extraordinary claim. He said, if you want to see God, look at my life. Look at who I am, and you've seen God. And so, I want to say this as a basis as we go forward this morning. The Bible places no emphasis, no importance on cerebral knowledge. Right? Knowledge of the intellect. It does not value that kind of knowledge at all. The Bible teaches that there's nothing in our lives that is truly known that we don't ever truly know things until those things are shaping our lives and transforming our lives. I've been serving God in the church now for more than 20 years. I have known many Christians over the years that are Christians in an intellectual, cerebral way. They know the Scripture. They know the Gospel. They know that they must be born again. But it doesn't affect their lives. And I'm not saying to accuse anybody here. I'm just saying this is the reality. In the church, I've seen this over and over again. They are not generous people. They don't reach out to anybody else. They don't do anything. They just sit there in the pew week after week and get fed. This is not true Christianity. This is an intellectual ascent to the gospel without denying the power which transforms lives. I'm trusting this church. It's not going to be a church like that. That our lives are not going to be lives like that. I don't say that to condemn anyone. I'm trying to say this to encourage you, that we are not cerebral Christians. We are Christians who are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We understand the Scripture, but our hope is in the blood of Christ. Our hope is in the cross of Jesus. Our hope is in the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, to transform us from one degree of glory to another. And so basically, what I'm trying to say to you is that the Bible says wisdom is being obedient. Wisdom is, a, is a, the deepest kind of knowledge is having a deep personal relationship with Jesus, being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, a relationship with God that shapes and transforms your life. That's what knowledge is. That's what wisdom is. And so I'd like to remind you, in, in Genesis, the Bible says this, Adam knew Eve. And uh, I've heard that scripture used many times just to illustrate that the Bible speaks quite frankly about sex, that we are to enjoy sex, and it's a fantastic gift to us. But that little phrase I want to say to you is much, much more than simply just saying that. It's a definition for us. Adam knew Eve. It's an example of true knowledge. When you are married to someone, you know that person. And I want to say to you that my marriage to Helen, more than anything outside of my relationship with Jesus, has transformed my life. She has transformed me. I am not the same person I was when I met her. And when I married her, God has used her to shape and transform my life in the most amazing way. And I hope I've done the same for her. That is biblical knowledge. That is true knowledge. That is being transformed by knowing someone. And in the same way, the Bible says this in Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge God. In all your ways. In other words, through the entire course of your life, through the ups, the downs, every aspect of your life, acknowledge Him, acknowledge God, and He will make your path straight. James is saying the same thing. It's the same language. He's saying, the wise man by his good life, by his good works. Motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit, shows in his life through his good works, wisdom and gentle works of of wisdom. So I want to say this. Please note in this little couple of verses, James doesn't offer us a list of things to do. He doesn't offer us Verbs. He doesn't say, do this, do that, do this, do that. How much in our lives don't we sometimes want God just to tell us what to do? Do this, do that, do this, do that. and It's all going to work out. James never does that. The Bible never does that. Never offers you verbs. James also doesn't offer a list of nouns. He doesn't say, this is what wisdom looks like. These are the things that make up wisdom. Just look for these things. He doesn't offer us nouns. What he does do is he offers us adverbs, those dreadful things, adverbs. In other words, he says, this is the kind of person you are to become whatever you do. That's a different thing. Whatever you do, whatever your gift, whatever God has called you to do, this is the kind of person you fix your vision on to become this person by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's adverbs. It's not nouns. It's not verbs. And so his starting point, James's starting point, and I believe the gospel's starting point, is that everything in our lives, in this life that we live, as we try to seek, uh, serve Jesus, in every good work, the hallmark... The primary thing is gentleness. That's what James is saying. Gentleness. Wisdom from heaven has a hallmark of gentleness. Towards God, soft open heart towards Him, a gentle heart towards Him, and a gentle heart towards each other. Gentleness. What a beautiful word. That's the first thing that James says the kind of person we are to become, this thing, this wisdom from heaven, the hallmark of this wisdom is that we are becoming increasingly more gentle. This sounds like Jesus to me. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you because I am gentle. I am humble and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus' invitation is... For us to come to him who is gentle, that we might find peace and rest in him. And say so I'm saying to you this morning, if there's disorder in your life, if there's a sense of wrestling in your life, if there's a sense of stuff that you just, oh, it's always a niggle, I want to say to you, this wisdom from heaven that James is talking about, that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring an end to that disorder. It will bring an end to that disunity. It will give you peace. Joy. Reasonableness. Reasonableness. Gentleness. In fact, as we go on in chapter 4, you'll see, James starts chapter 4 by saying, what what causes fighting amongst you? Talking to the church. What causes fighting amongst you? What causes wars? Why are you fighting with each other? He says, because this internal thing that's always going on in your heart's you ask with the wrong motive, you want to have this, there's jealousy, there's stuff amongst you. You know what brings an end to that? Wisdom from heaven. Gentleness, peace are the power of the Holy Spirit. So, I've said to you that James never tells us what to do, alright? And he never says, this is the nouns, this is what wisdom looks like. But he encourages us to become a kind of person that... uh, is full of wisdom from heaven. And so I want to give you some things this morning. Four things that I hope encourage you. I hope they might challenge you. And I, like I said before, I speak to myself, first of all, and I hope I can say these things in a gentle way. As we go forward, as we we thank God for a good year, as a family, we have had a good year. As a church, I believe we've had a good year. Good, solid year. Much to be grateful for. Now we go on holiday... And we want to get filled with energy again. And, uh, you know, it's not called recreation for by accident. When we go away on holiday, we're supposed to recreate. We're supposed to actually get some fresh perspective. So I hope, trust, that as you go on holiday, you will rest and you will recreate and you will get some fresh perspective on your life. And I'd like to ask you to think about these things as you go away because there's much for us to do when we come back next year. There's much work for us to give ourselves to, not, not in terms of earning salvation, but in terms of serving Jesus giving the best of our energy to see the kingdom come and to see this community transformed. So there's much we want to give ourselves to. So this wisdom from heaven, this kind of thing that we are trusting God to do in us by the power of the Spirit, I want to say it's expressed in four areas that I want to give you as a kind of encouragement stroke challenge. First, it's expressed in a kind of people who serve one another. It's expressed in a kind of people that serve one another. Galatians 5.13 is a wonderful scripture. It says this, You, my brothers, talking to save people, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Do not use your freedom in Christ to indulge your sinful nature. In other words, your selfishness, your sense of always putting yourself first. And it says, no, no, don't use, it. don't use it like that, Paul says to the Galatians. He says, use it to serve one another. I believe this church, this church, I hope, will be one of the hallmarks of this church is that we preach the gospel, that we preach that you are saved by no other thing except the blood of Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's all that saves you, is that. Not your good work, nothing. That's what saves you. This is the catch-22 for preachers. If you truly preach the gospel and you truly bring freedom to people that they understand that they are free in Christ, there's no legalism, no one calling them to do anything, no laws that are put on them, no rules that are put on them. This is the catch-22 for preachers. Most people hear that and process it in a worldly way. What do I mean by that? They turn the freedom of the Spirit into a freedom to do their own thing. And I have to say to you, the testimony of the worldwide church in the last five to ten years is that many saved, many claiming the grace of God, many saying I'm free in Jesus, thank you Jesus that I'm free in you, and yet at the same time following their own agenda, their own desires, Getting on and doing their own thing without any sense of faithfulness to the to the church, to the community of believers. Very few laying down their lives to love and serve in a local community. Very few giving themselves in love to other people. There's something wrong. That is not authentic Christianity. That is not authentic understanding of the gospel. And I found this increasingly as a preacher. You know, the devil loves to hound you as a preacher. And for those of you that preach, you're going to find out the devil loves to hound you. Loves to get on your case. Loves to keep you awake at night. Why does he do that? Because he holds everyone else captive that is not saved. The devil holds everyone else captive. And those that are saved, he he seeks to do this. He tries to take away the freedom of the Spirit by either putting us under legalism or else getting us to live a selfish life that says, I'm going to just live for myself anyway. I'm free because of Jesus. And that's the great battle that we have in the church, to keep people free from legalism, that they're not living under rules, but also increasingly free to serve one another and to serve the kingdom and not live selfishly. I want to say this, I don't have any power to ask you to come to this church. You come every week out of the free volition of your heart because you want to serve Jesus and you want to love Him. That's the only thing I can say to you. That's the only thing you'll ever hear from this pulpit. We cannot force any one of you to do anything. I can encourage you to love Jesus with all of your heart. And I believe as you love Jesus, you will love His church. I believe that's the way of the, of the gospel. We don't live selfishly. We don't live for our own recreation. We live for Jesus. And so Paul and Peter said the same thing. Paul said this. And Peter said this. 1 Peter 2.16 Live as people who are free. I want to encourage you as a church. Live as people who are free. Live free from legalism. You, it's your, your relationship with Jesus is your relationship with Jesus. Live free by the power of the Spirit. But then Peter goes on and says, Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. Don't use your freedom as a smokescreen to just live your life as you want to and say, I'm not accountable to anyone. I'm not accountable to local church. I'm not accountable. It's just me and Jesus. Not authentic Christianity. The kind of people that serve one another. Two. This wisdom from heaven is expressed in the kind of people that take notice of others. Any of you read the book of Ruth? Ruth is a beautiful book. It's a very short book. I'd encourage you to read it. <laughs> it's a very short book. It'll take you 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And there's this amazing story in Ruth and it's an Old Testament story. Ruth, she's widowed and so they move, uh, she, she goes with her mother-in-law and they, and they go to, to another nation and um, Because she's widowed, she has to she's the main breadwinner. And she's the main breadwinner for herself and for her mother in law. And there's this guy called Boaz, who actually is a picture of Jesus. And he's a he he kind of redeems her. And what he does is this he learns that she's widowed, he learns that she's the sole breadwinner, and so he tries to protect her and he warns the other people that are harvesting. He says, Leave some grain for this woman so that she can have enough. He he, he kind of notices and takes care of her. Um, He even goes and and speaks to her about the needs in her life. And Naomi, who's Ruth's mother-in-law, says this in verse 19 of chapter 2 of Ruth. She says this, Blessed is the one who took notice of you. Isn't that a powerful verse? Blessed is the man that took notice of you who saw your need, who saw your pain, who saw that you were widowed, who saw that, that you had nothing to provide for yourself. My challenge to you is this, my encouragement to you is this as the church. Are we aware of the needs of people around us? In your home groups, is it a holy click? Or are you really aware of the needs of the people in your home group? Are you aware of the needs of the people that come to this church every week? You know the ones that slip in? And they shy and they don't really want eye contact, and so they slip to the coffee area and they just unnoticed. They go make themselves a cup of coffee and they stand there with their back half turned. Do you notice them? Blessed is the man that takes notice of you. See, the Bible says, Galatians 6 2 says this bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is the law of freedom. The law of Christ is the gospel. The law of Christ is love. As we bear each other's burdens, this is um, a man from Wagga Wagga. Have you ever ever met anyone from Wagga Wagga before? (laughs) Hamilton from Wagga Wagga. Welcome, mate. Have you ever help to bear someone else's burdens. I want to encourage you that this church increasingly helps to bear each other's burdens, that we are aware of people's needs, that we are not just so consumed with our own life, and and I've got a family. I know what it is to have two teenage boys. I'm not saying this to accuse anybody. I know what it is to live a life of fetching and carrying and doing stuff, and I know that. But it's so easy to get consumed with our own lives, our own needs. Are we aware of other people's needs? The ones that just slip in and just slip out. Thirdly, this kind of wisdom from heaven is expressed in a kind of people, and it kind of follows on from what I've just said, who not only take notice, but who help others in need. To help others in need. 1 John 3, I read it this week, it's incredibly challenging, verse 17, it says, If anyone has material possessions, anyone has material prosperity, and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of Christ be in him? It's not my words. Jesus, through his scripture. Martin Luther said this, I'm amazed every time I read Luther. He could be alive today, and he could be saying these things. (laughs) He says this, If we should be willing to die for our fellow believers, shouldn't we be even more willing to give up our property and our belongings? If we have possessions and we don't share them, if we don't give food, drink, clothing, and so on. In other words, if we are greedy and stingy, then we aren't Christians. I want to put it to you, this is the unfortunate testimony of many people who say that they are saved. It's stingy lives. I don't know how to say it with a smile on my face. (laughs) But it's true, stinginess. And I've been part of big churches. I've been part of small churches. And the unfortunate testimony from the majority of churches is that there are many Christians who claim to be saved that live stingy lives. Ungenerous lives. Is this authentic Christianity? And, you know, we can try and interpret that um, portion by saying, well, it's talking about the starving in Africa. It's talking about some slum in India. Uh, Scripture doesn't let us get away with it. Jesus says, love those that are your enemies. Bless those that curse you. There's that, that kind of love. Jesus also says, Take care of the household of believers. There's that kind of love. Jesus also says, if you are living a life that doesn't take care of your family, you are the worst kind of retrobate. That's what the scripture says. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. Not me, Paul, writing to, the, to Timothy and saying, this is, the, this is what I want you to, to grow up in. And so I want to in, in, encourage you that as a church, as a community, this year, wouldn't it be great that the testimony of Forest Town Church is, that is a generous people. I would love that testimony. I'm not saying it's not true right now, but but let it be even more true. That is a generous people. They love you. (laughs) They take care of you. They welcome you into the family. They are generous beyond just being nice. They are generous. Fourthly, this kind of wisdom from heaven is expressed in a kind of people that are open to being corrected, are open to being corrected. John 3.20, anyone, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's what John says. Again, let me quote Luther. <laughs> the world doesn't want to be Punished. It wants to remain in darkness, Martin Luther says. It doesn't want to be told that what it believes is false. If you also, speaking to Christians, don't want to be corrected. You might as well leave the church and spend your time in the bar and the brothel if you don't want to be corrected. But if you want to be saved, and remember there is a life coming after this one, you must accept correction. I said before, I can't force anyone to be saved. What I can do, what I am called to do as a preacher of the gospel is to expose darkness, is to expose evil in my own heart, in my own life and point people towards Christ. Point people towards the gospel. That is my responsibility. I believe that's the most important responsibility of any church that preaches the gospel, is to lift Jesus up and to expose everything else as darkness. That's what we call to do as preachers of the gospel. Therefore, I want to say to you that when you come to this church, you might not find it comfortable, because the gospel exposes our darkness. It's exposed the darkness of my own life. I'm not trying to make anyone unhappy. I'm just saying, this is what the gospel says. We hold up the gospel. We point people towards Jesus. I believe also good government is there to uphold the law. Good government is there to punish those that break the law so that we can be free, we can walk in the streets. That is good government. This responsibility of the church, of preachers in the church, must be to expose subtle works of darkness, must be to expose false teaching, must be to expose everything that leads to a carnal, backslidden, worldly Christianity and say, that is not what Jesus has called us to. That's my responsibility. Anyone, I hope, who preaches from this pulpit will have in their heart that responsibility. My responsibility is to preach the gospel and to live free of the devil on my own case that says, well, are you living that? Of course I'm trying to live that. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? And I believe if we stop doing that and if the government stops being a good government, you know what's going to happen? The whole world is going to collapse. It is righteousness that upholds the nation. It is salt and light that exposes things. If we stop being salt, if we stop being light, it will collapse. So I want to encourage you. Stay open to the Holy Spirit correcting you. (laughs) <laughs> and I want to say this to myself, part of preaching is encouraging. Part of pre- preaching is also rebuking when there needs to be rebuke, and if you're not brave enough to do that, if you don't have the courage, then don't preach. Then I should leave. If I do not have the courage to do that, I must leave. And someone else who has the courage to do it, must do it. Are you with me, guys? This is the, this, It's simple. And so I want to say to you, as God's... Children, my friends, if we are not open to being corrected by the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the Word, we are only pretending to be Christians. We're just pretending. So I want to encourage you. Let God, whatever area God has in your life, and there's different things for all of us, I know that, wherever God is putting a finger in your own life and saying, my friend, my son, I want you to change that, don't resist him. Don't resist Him. Let Him do it. Why? Because we want to become more and more like Jesus. We don't want to just stay the same. Surely not. Surely there's more for this church. Surely there's much more of God for this church. Surely we don't want to just stay the same. Surely we want to see many people saved. Surely we want to see this community transformed. Surely we want to see our marriages more healthy. Surely we want to see our parenting more and more uh, lovely. Surely we want to see our homes more peaceful. Surely we want to see more. So then... Let the Holy Spirit correct you gently. He, he corrects us gently. Whose wise and understanding amongst you by his good life, his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So, in conclusion, I want to say this is a prayer over this church as we as I go on holiday. And as some of you have already been on holiday, I want to say this is a prayer that I trust that this church, every one of our lives, will bear the hallmark of godly gentleness and wisdom. In our lives. I want to say that over us. I want to declare that over us. That we truly will become gentle men and women that live their lives to serve each other. That we'll be generous men and women that joyfully take notice of others. Joyfully take notice of others and help to fulfill their needs, whether they are material or physical or spiritual or whatever. Open, men and women. Open first to God, that our hearts will be gentle and soft towards His correction in our lives, and open towards each other, that we truly would embrace friendship and embrace each other in an open-hearted, lovely way. And gracious, men and women. I've said this so many times. If we are not gracious with other people, it's because we are not gracious with ourselves. If you are not gracious with your husband or your wife, I want to just say to you, perhaps you've not yet found grace for your own life. Perhaps you're trying to put something onto other people because you're really putting something onto yourself. When you experience the grace of God and know the grace of God, you can extend that to others in an easy way. And so that's my prayer. That's really my prayer. Lord, let us become gentle. Let us become those that serve. Let us become generous. Let us become those that joyfully help others in need. Open soft hearts towards you and each other. And gracious that we wouldn't respond aggressively when you correct us by your Holy Spirit and through the preaching of your word.